right, good morning, church, both the ones here and the ones at home. Good morning. Let's stand and sing together by Christ, our hope in life and death. What is our hope in life and death? Christ alone, Christ alone. What is our only confidence? That Yeah. 
Christ our hope in life and death. Amen. If you'll remain standing for the reading of God's Word, I'll read just a portion of the text that we're studying today. We're in Luke chapter 7, and I'll read Luke seven eighteen through verse 23. The disciples of John reported all these things to him, meaning Jesus, and John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour... He healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits, and on many who were blind he bestowed sight. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Father God, I pray today as we come to a text that that pierces our heart, confronting us to make a decision, is Jesus the one or not? And Lord, I pray that you will, by your Spirit, work in our hearts, those who are here and the many who are at home, Lord, this morning, whenever they watch this, Lord, I pray that whoever is watching this even now, that you will pierce their heart and they will be confronted with the evidence that you have shown us over the last few weeks looking at the Gospel of Luke. And may we answer that question that's twice repeated here Are you the Messiah? Lord, I pray as we continue to worship that you will begin now to lay heavy on our hearts the truth that is so clear from the evidence that you are the Messiah worthy of our worship. And so we continue to worship you now. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord, his mercy. Darkness, new 
patience would wait as we constantly roam. What Father so tender is calling us home. He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Like sea billows 
we can honestly say it's well with our souls not because of the things that are happening around us or not because of the strength that we think that we have or the stability we think we have in our life but because you have ransomed our soul with the blood of Jesus sending Christ to die in our place you have made a way for forgiveness for relationship with you And so that's why we sing. That's how we can sing. It's well with us, Lord. So I pray that you just fix our gaze on Christ this morning as we read from your word and study your word as Tracy preaches. Just stir our hearts to love you more and more, to love Christ and worship him. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.
Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? We've got a better turnout than I expected here this morning, and we welcome everyone watching at home. And uh, we're continuing our study in the chapter of Gospel of Luke, and we're in chapter 7. Now, last week in the second service, I must have said 30 times that we were in chapter 7, and I went home and my kids were quick to tell me, Dad, you kept saying chapter 7, but thankfully the media guys had it right and had chapter 6 up there. And then I go to community group, and Luke in my community group likes to make sure I made my know that I made that mistake as well. Thank you, Luke Pearson, for always holding me accountable. But uh, So we are now in chapter 7, and we are changing scenes. Luke changes scene, he says in chapter 7, after Jesus had finished all his sayings in the hearing, hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. And so Jesus had been preaching a sermon on the mount where all the people were listening, and Luke recorded for us some pretty powerful words there. And now Luke says, okay, change of scene, we're now going to Capernaum, and I think it'd be very helpful for us to review a lot of what we've seen, because that's really what uh, this text is all about today. So if you remember in the first part of Luke, the gospel records the miraculous birth of John the Baptist. And we see immediately there's something special about John. He's establishing John as the prophesied, long-awaited prophet of all prophets, if you will, kind of the last Old Testament prophet, and he was the the end-of-the-age prophet, and his role was to prepare the way for the Messiah. And Luke makes it clear, here's the one. His name is John, John the Baptist. He's going to be the weird uh, camel-wearing, weird guy that lived out in the desert. And people go out to him to be uh, baptized. But then Jesus, his birth, his virgin birth, a miraculous birth as well, was recorded right after that. And so we saw that there's something incredibly unique about this child, this Jesus. And then Jesus' childhood is recorded. And we saw how just through God's providence that through his parents and through even before he was making the decisions, he was fulfilling the law. He was being dedicated Uh, And then as a 12-year-old, he was at the temple asking questions, which means that he was teaching. He was teaching them in their own synagogues, in the temple. He was teaching them their own law, their own understanding of the Scriptures as a 12-year-old child. Then we saw Jesus' baptism. Remember what happened at the baptism. The words from heaven said, "'This is my Son.'" And Luke captures that for us. And then we start to see the early part of Jesus' ministry where Jesus, we saw, we've seen how he was a rabbi of all rabbis. He was teaching with a unique authority. His authority was being recognized as this teacher, this rabbi is the most authoritative rabbi I've ever heard. And then with that authority, carrying the very weight of the authority of God's word when he taught, he opens Isaiah, Isaiah 61, and he says, he reads it to the people, he sits down to teach them, and he says, in that text, was prophesying the arrival of the Messiah. He sits down and he says, these words are being fulfilled in your hearing today. So he's saying, I'm that prophesied Messiah. And then he said in that passage, which he read, the Messianic passage said that he would be the Messiah who liberates the oppressed and shows compassion to the brokenhearted. And then what does Luke record? Him liberating the oppressed. He liberates the spiritual oppressed, casting demons out. He liberates the physically oppressed, healing the sick, the paralyzed. 
and doing miracles, providing a miraculous catch so that the disciples would know this is the real deal. He really is the Messiah. And so when he said, follow me, they were honored because they were being asked to follow such an incredible rabbi who, in their minds, was becoming quickly, they were convinced that he was the Messiah. And so Jesus is fulfilling the scriptures in before their very eyes. And as we read Luke chapter 7, I see the similarities to us, that we are much like the characters in the story, only we're not the disciples sitting close to Jesus at his feet. I see us more as the crowd, that among the crowd, those disciples, those 12 that were listening, ultimately became the apostles who were to teach the word of God and point people. They, they saw Jesus, they saw his miracles, they walked with him, they heard his teaching, they saw the resurrected Jesus, and they were the foundation of the church that we are in today. But like the crowds, I, I see us sitting among the crowds, listening to all these teachings, and there's all different responses, all different mindsets of people as we come and we listen to the hearings of teach, uh, and the teachings of Jesus. And we've been hearing Jesus' teachings just like those crowds were as we've been studying them in Luke week after week evidence is piling up and the the huge crowds are building and people are intrigued and last week I saw like a culmination of weeks of the crowds building as as people became more comfortable of coming together and so it's like we've been living it with them that the crowds are growing to hear Jesus and what does he say and to consider the evidence that he is presenting what do you do with this evidence and that's really the point today in chapter 7, Luke, God, through Luke, confronts the reader and says, you have to make a choice. What do you do with Jesus? What do you do with all this evidence that has been piled upon, piled upon, piled for you to consider the evidence? It's time to respond. That's what Luke does. That's what the Lord is doing with us today. And my prayer is today that each one of us will respond. And at the end of this message, we're going to end differently. We're not going to sing. We're going to just spend time responding personally. And you're going to find cards in front of your seat backs that there are some cards. There should be enough for everyone. I want, by the end of the service, I want everyone to respond. And I'll give you that opportunity, not just guests, but everyone. Members, guests, regular attenders, first-time guests, I'm going to ask you all by the end of the service to take a card and check one of those responses. And online, if you're watching this, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond uh, through text. And I want everyone who watches this, everyone who hears these words, everyone who's being confronted today to make the choice, what are you going to do with the evidence that Luke, that God has been providing you through Luke? Father, I ask for your help this morning. I pray that your spirit will be working in all of our hearts this morning. And any who are listening, Lord, I pray that all of us will be convicted and confronted with the evidence that has been piled before us, making it clear that Jesus is the Messiah and that we will make our choice. Lord, I pray that by your grace and your mercy that you will grant faith today to all, that you will strengthen our conviction and our confidence that Jesus is Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Okay, we're going to look at all of chapter 7, which is 35 verses, so we're going to move pretty quickly and kind of do a, 
a high-level view of what's going on in the chapter. And we're going to see three sections in chapter 7. First, we're going to see the centurion. And we're going to say, what do, we, what do we learn from this? Luke records these encounters, and he lays them there in the text for us to say he's trying to make a point. So let's see what we can learn in verse 1 through 11 from the centurion. In verse 12 through 17, we're going to see Jesus' encounter with the widow. And then finally, in verses 18 through 35, we're going to see the question. So first, let's look at 1 through 11, the centurion. And I'm looking at verse 1. Luke records this. After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant. Now stop there. A centurion was a local Roman ruler. He was kind of, you had the... the the highest, and then you had the more local, kind of almost like a mayor or a local uh, official. So the centurion had a servant who was sick and the peop- uh, sick and at the point of death, and he was highly valued by him. So this wasn't just some servant and he needed him to get a job done, so could you, could you take care? He really cared about this person. He was friends with this man. He valued this man. This was a dear friend of his, someone he loved. And it, it says that he was sick and he was at the point of death. When the centurion heard about Jesus, notice that, when the centurion heard about Jesus. The centurion heard the same things that we have been seeing in the gospel. He heard about the miracles. He heard about the teachings. All that I just reviewed, what did he do when he heard about Jesus, all this word about Jesus? The centurion sent to Jesus elders of the Jews, asking him, would you come heal my servant? Now think about that for a minute. The centurion is the enemy. He's a leader of the enemies of the Jews. The Jews would consider the the Gentiles, the Romans, the oppressors, and many times their misunderstanding was the Messiah would come to remove the oppressors, to rid them of this oppression. It would be a military victory. And so here is a Gentile Roman ruler heard about this Jewish, miracle-working, Messiah-claiming teacher, rabbi. And so his response was, I wonder if he would graciously heal my dearly beloved servant. And so he sends a Jewish delegation to try to appeal to the Jewish Messiah. When they came to Jesus, this Jewish delegation, these elders of the Jews, verse 4, and when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with Jesus earnestly, saying, speaking of the centurion, these elders, these Jewish elders, the centurion is worthy to have you do this for him. Why? For he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. Now notice The thought process there. Remember what I said that was the whole mindset that Jesus has been railing against was this whole, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back attitude. And these Jews are still playing that game and saying, look, this centurion, he's a Roman, but he's one of us. He's on the inside. He benefits us, so you need to benefit him. He built the synagogue for us, 
And so would you then find him worthy? He deserves this kind of gift to heal his servant. That's not been Jesus' mindset, but he goes along with it at first. In verse 6 he says, And Jesus went with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, see, this, there's a lot of Jewish-Gentile uh, interaction going on. He's sending out a delegation to say, look, I know it's not appropriate for you to have to come into the house of the Gentiles. And so he's trying to accommodate, and Jesus just kind of is blowing this off like, I'm not worried about that. And so he sends out a, a delegation The centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Now, that's the attitude Jesus is looking for. Instead of, look what he's done, he is so worthy of your grace and your mercy, the centurion gets it right and says, no, I am not worthy of your grace. I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. That's the kind of attitude Jesus wants from us. And then he goes on to say, Therefore I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one of those soldiers, Go, and he goes, and to another, Come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. So this is an incredible statement out of the mouth of this Gentile Roman soldier, Roman ruler, saying and recognizing Jesus' authority. He's saying, look, I report to Caesar, I have authority because I am his designated one. And with that authority, I say to this person, this soldier, that soldier, go, come, and they do what I say. And he's recognizing that Jesus has the authority. Jesus, the authoritative one, sent by God, carrying the authority of God. And he says, look, you don't even need to come. All you got to do is just command it because you have such authority and power. If you command it, it'll be done. This is incredible faith, incredible understanding, incredible insight into reality as it relates to Jesus. And so then we see the main idea of this whole narrative. Why does Luke record all this? We see it in verse 9. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. He turns to the crowd, which is us. And he looks in our eyes and he says, I tell you, not even in Israel... Have I found such faith? Not even inside your church do I find this kind of faith. Not even in you who've been following along and hearing everything do I find such faith. But then here's this one outsider declaring with such clarity faith and confidence in the authority and power of God. Luke is calling us to have a centurion type faith. To recognize that we are not worthy of the Messiah's mercy and grace and compassion and forgiveness. But to see that he is gracious, compassionate, merciful, forgiving. And that he has all the power and all authority of God of heaven and earth to forgive sins. 
and to declare on unrighteous people righteous, to heal them of their sin. Do you have that kind of response to the evidence? Where is your heart? With that question in the air, Luke records another narrative to drive the point home. The widow. This is found in verses 12 through 17. He records another instance and says, I want you to be confronted with another situation. As verse 12, as he drew near, as Jesus drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was already a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. What would this Jesus do? This one who claims to be the Messiah, who claims to have the power to heal, the power over death, to have the compassion to heal the brokenhearted. What would he do? Is he really the Messiah? Everyone's here to see. Here's a dead man. Here's a woman who is grieving the loss of her husband and now the grieving the loss of her son. What are you going to do, Jesus? Verse 13. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier. It's like a wooden gurney that they would be carrying the body on, which Jews weren't even supposed to be around dead bodies. And he comes up and he touches it. He stops the processional. And the bears stood still. And he said, To the dead man, Young man, I say to you, arise. Woo! Can you imagine being there that day? He doesn't have to do any massive, dramatic scene. He just says, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. Then Jesus gave him to his mother. Let that sink in just for a moment. Jesus spoke to a dead man. And he sat up. And he gave the dead man, who had been made alive, back to his mother. What's so insane about this text is... Luke doesn't even make a big deal about the resurrection from the dead of this boy. He makes a big deal about Jesus' compassion for this brokenhearted woman. The whole text is all about her. Notice the way it's described over and over. It's about her. It's about him giving this child back to her. It's about the fact that she's a widow. She's already lost her husband. She's brokenhearted. And the Jewish way of referring to people, you don't normally say this is a son of this woman. It's usually all about the man. Instead, Luke says, this is all about that woman. Jesus cares deeply, has great compassion about this woman. For this woman, he is compassionate. He says, do not weep. Verse 14. 
Why is Luke making it such a careful point to say, Jesus is showing compassion to this broken-hearted woman? Because Isaiah 61 says that's what the Messiah will be like. Isaiah 61.1, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives. That's what both of these narratives have been about. That's why Luke is recording both the centurion and the widow. Because both of them are considered the poor and the brokenhearted. Both of them, the poor doesn't necessarily just mean financially poor. It means poor in every sense of the world. The ones who are on the outside of the religious people. The ones who are on the outside of the the hope or the power structure. The ones who are on the outside and marginalized and are brokenhearted. The Gentile centurion, though he had power, he was brokenhearted and needed a healer, needed a savior. And Jesus says, I am the Messiah who Isaiah prophesied would come for people just like him, not just for the religious elite. And the widow who is clearly grieving and brokenhearted over his, her loss of her, of her husband and now her only son. Jesus is this anointed one who comes to liberate the oppressed, as we've seen, to heal the brokenhearted, as we've seen, to preach the gospel of good news of the kingdom of God to the poor. Luke is mounting the evidence. He's piling the evidence. And if we could just grasp the truthfulness of these accounts... None of us could deny that Jesus is the Messiah. He rose the kid from the grave and gave him back to his mother. Verse 16, we see the response of the crowd and fear seized them all. Don't you know it did? This dead man just sat up. Are you kidding me? And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us. God has visited his people. They knew this was an act of God. And this report about him spread throughout the whole region of Judea and all the surrounding country. Word is spreading. God is dwelling among us. God has visited us. God is moving powerfully among us. But they don't fully get it yet. They just think he's a prophet. A prophet. God has sent a prophet. And and Luke has already made it clear. He's not just a prophet. Look back at verse 13. What did he say in verse 13? And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. That Lord is... A title of the Messiah, the Lord, the Lord, the Master had compassion on her. And so with these two narratives, the centurion, the widow, Luke is driving home the point. 
Luke is presenting a summary of Jesus' ministry, of Jesus' identity. He's making it abundantly clear before chapter 8 gets back into more of, of story, he's, of, of activity. He's saying, let's make clear something. The evidence is clear. The Messiah, who was prophesied to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, as Isaiah prophesied, as Jesus. That's what he's doing. And so then he does the next thing. He presents the question that we all have to answer in verses 18 through 35. He's masterful. The Word of God is just an incredible work of literature that God has provided. And it's just beautiful when you read the way it's put together. In verse 18, the disciples of John, so we're talking about John's disciples. If John the Baptist has been out of sight for a while in the text, and then now it's John, this disciple of John reported all these things to John. So the disciples report to John, who has been imprisoned and will soon be, de- will be decapitated, have his head lopped off for preaching the gospel and for following this Messiah, the disciples come to John and say, you know what this guy's been doing. And they report to John all these things that you have been reading in the gospel of Luke. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them back to the Lord saying, quote, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And notice how Luke writes this passage. He writes it in a way to repeat that question to you as a reader. And when the men had come to Jesus, they said, quote, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? Luke knows what he's doing, inspired by God. He's putting that question in front of your face today twice to answer. Is Jesus the one who was prophesied to come? Or are you to look for another? Luke's presented so much evidence, he says, it's time to confront with the question. And with that question in your heart, We continue reading verse 20. And when the men had come to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And then what did Jesus do in verse 21? In that hour, at that moment, having heard the question, he looks at the disciples And he says, nothing. He turns over and he heals another person. And he casts out another demon. And he heals a leper, touches a paralytic. And I'm sure he just pauses and look at them. And they go, okay, I get it. In verse 22, he answered them, Go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. 
this really happened. Evidence. First-hand eyewitnesses have seen all of this. Luke has investigated all of this. And he's recording all of this for you to hear. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Leopards are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have the good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now remember this whole thing started with the disciples telling John the Baptist about all this stuff that's been happening. And they come to Jesus and say, Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God because of his faith in Jesus is greater than he. What is he saying here? He said, what are you looking for when you go out to the desert to look at John? Well, John is the end of the age prophet who is there to prepare the way for the Messiah. He is telling you the truth. And we have the testimony of John, and we have the testimony of Luke, we have the testimony of Jesus, we have all the evidence set before us. The only question is, what are you looking for? How do you respond? Is Jesus the Messiah or should you look for someone else? There's basically two responses. In verse 29, Luke, in parenthetical reference, inserts this into the story to make sure we as readers see it. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just. Having been baptized with the baptism of John, having repented, they declared God just. But then the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. There's only two responses. Either to repent and receive Christ as the Messiah, heed the message of John the Baptist, who is the end of the age prophet, prophesied by the Old Testament, that he would be the one to come, prepare the way for the Lord. When Jesus came down to be baptized, he said, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When he baptized him, a dove descended upon Jesus, and a voice from heaven said, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And Luke has recorded all of the miracles, all of the teachings, all of the evidence and there's only two responses yes I repent of my sin and I'm trusting in Christ or no I reject him because I don't like he's not giving me what I'm looking for I don't want to repent which are you today how will you respond We've seen his miraculous birth of John the Baptist, the miraculous birth of Jesus, his perfect childhood, his baptism. We've seen the early part of his miraculous ministry. We've seen him interpreting Isaiah 61 as about himself. We've seen him living out all the evidence of fulfilling exactly what Isaiah prophesied. 
We've seen the miraculous catch the fish. We've seen him proclaiming good news to the poor and healing the brokenhearted. We've seen him doing exactly what he said. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The leopards are cleansed. The deaf are healed. The dead are raised up. The poor have the good news preached to them. Blessed is the one who is not offended by Jesus. So it's time for you to respond now. I hope you will all grab a card. If you're here today, there's a card like this in the seat back. Please get a card. No one has touched those pens except for Jared, and he was clean when he did this. I want everyone to have a card, please. No one without a card. And if you're at home, you're going to have a chance to respond, and I'll explain in just a moment. Actually, I'll go ahead and explain it now while they're getting their cards. If you're at home, you'll be able to text to 97,000 the word NFCC respond. Text NFCC respond to 97,000, and this form will come up for you. And I would like everyone who listens to this message to please, I don't care if it's Wednesday, I don't care when it is, if you would... Text NFCC respond to the number 97,000. This card will be sent to you, and you can fill out a form to check one of these boxes. And if you're here in person today, I want you to please take a physical card. Everyone will do it together so no one is standing out. And everyone has a response to make. Everyone needs to face the evidence that Jesus has presented, that Luke has presented, that God has presented, that John the Baptist has presented to us today. I am ready to trust in Jesus like the centurion. Or, like John the Baptist, I am struggling to trust in Jesus. I have some questions. Or, I'm recommitting my trust in Jesus. I'm ready to recommit. I was struggling, but I'm ready. Finally, I'm remaining committed to trust Jesus. Everyone has a place to respond. And I would encourage you, I would invite you to be willing to put your name and contact information, especially if you would like us to to walk with you and answer questions, you're struggling, or celebrate with you the first time you're, you're ready to trust in Jesus. Or you're recommitting because God has done something in your life. Would you just allow us to come alongside you and and help you? And if you're at home and you're watching this, when you text and you fill out the form and you choose and you send it in, we're going to get it. I don't care if it's two weeks from now when you watch this video. Whenever you watch it, if you would just complete that, send it to us. We will rejoice with every card that we receive and we will respond properly. I'm going to just spend a little time in prayer and in silence. And when I close this, if you're here in person, when you leave, there's boxes by the door. There's offering boxes. Would you just, everyone, just slip it in the box? And we'll gather them together with hazmat suits on. And we will, we will praise the Lord for every single response, whether it's the first one, the last one or in between, every one of those is a praise to the Lord because you are responding to the clear teaching of God's word. Now, as I pray and as we're in silence, just 
invite you to just ask the Lord to give you the courage to respond the way that you should respond, and then I'll close this in a moment. Father God, we thank you for the clear evidence of your word, Lord. We thank you that you have made it clear to us in your word that you are the long-awaited Messiah, that you came as promised to die on the cross for our sins, to pay the price that, that we owed the the gospel that we sang in the first three songs that were so clearly articulated, that we could say, it is well with my soul because you have paid the price for my sin. You have forgiven me and forgiven us of our sin when we put our faith in you as our Savior. You have cleansed us. And then, God, it's, it's incredibly gracious. You then give us credit for Jesus' perfections though we continue to wrestle and struggle with sin. Lord, I pray that many, when they hear this message, many will respond even now saying, I am ready to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of my sins, to cleanse me of all unrighteousness, to declare me holy because of the holiness of Jesus, and to live for him. Give them the courage to check that box, to put their name and contact information so we can reach out to them, celebrate them, walk with them, and disciple them, encourage them in this wonderful, life-changing decision. Or those, Lord, who are struggling to trust in Jesus, maybe for the first time, maybe for the thousandth time, Lord, would you Give them the honesty, the transparency to say, like John the Baptist, to pursue and push through the questions to say, I need to answer these questions because I need to settle the ultimate question. Can I trust Jesus? Lord, would you give many, many, many people the courage to check that second decision, to respond saying, I am struggling, and to put their name and their contact information so we can just lovingly reach out to them and say, Hey, thank you. We want to help. Or those who are recommitting saying, Thank you, Lord, for the reminder of your faithfulness and for your compassion and for your power and your authority. And that people who have been walking or straying will recommit, will reinvigorate their passion for you. And those who are in a good place to just praise you and say, I am remaining committed to my Lord and Savior, Jesus. Lord, all of these decisions are precious. And we would be so grateful and so honored for every response that we receive so that we can pray as a staff, as elders. We can help, disciple, come alongside and do whatever we can to help, to look at the scriptures together, to provide counsel. Lord, you clearly, in your word, chapter 7, is a moment of response. And we want to respond faithful to you today. We ask all this in the glorious, holy, powerful, authoritative, yet compassionate name of our Savior, Jesus. And all the God's people said together, Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed. Please take your card. Place it in the offering boxes on your way out and go ahead and head out to the car. <laughs> Have a great week in the Lord.